Hey everybody, good morning. I'm Pastor Chris. Welcome to Coastal Community Church. Uh, glad to have you with us today. We have had an awesome uh, morning already together, as uh, Scott said earlier, and uh, excited about this service as well today. Uh, we are excited about uh, Easter Sunday, not just Easter Sunday, but the entire series that's going to be starting uh, April 5th, and it's called Love Can. And so seriously, today, get a yard sign if you haven't already gotten one. Maybe put it in uh, Walmart or some kind of public spot or uh, some sort of uh, spot where you notice that you know traffic kind of tends to come to a standstill or near an intersection, just make sure you own that sign and then take it down uh, after Easter. Uh, but also take an invite card, uh, pass those out, get a free t-shirt today. Uh, we're really excited about this series, Love Can. The idea is that, you know, the world that we're living in today is a mess. And the thing that, that really is going to make a difference in this world uh, is love. And we believe that. We believe that we have love to share with the world around us. So we believe that love can. Love can change. Love can win. Love can redeem. Love can restore. Love can forgive. We believe that. And so uh, help us get the word out. We're going to open up a big old can of love on Charleston uh, in this series. And in fact, um, also over the next couple of weeks, we have a, a large uh, mailer, a postcard that's going out to folks. Um, in fact, it's going out to uh, the 23,921 residents of West Ashley. Uh, so I'm sorry if you uh, uh, don't live in West Ashley, um, but that's all we can afford. So, um, But it's all of 07, all of 14. Uh, but we have some more of these cards actually out there as well. Um, so look for those in the Welcome Center. Feel free to take those home and uh, pass those out. Uh, we're excited about uh, what God's going to do through us in this series. Now today, uh, we are closing out the series that we've been in for a little bit is a relationship series called Happily Ever After uh, with a big question mark. And I'm excited about today. This is one of those messages where I just feel like this is important information to kind of pass on as we leave this series. Because today I want to talk about how to have a fair fight. How to have a fair fight. Um, the reason I want to talk about this is because conflict is a part of every relationship, especially in marriage. Uh, in fact, somebody said that marriage is when you agree to spend the rest of your life sleeping in a room that you believe is too warm besides somebody who's sleeping in a room who believes it's too cold. Um, and so therefore, conflict is inevitable. How many of you can relate to that? You know, you just, you're opposites. And so uh, uh, conflicts are inevitable because everybody is different. You know, people are different. We're all unique. God made us that way. And so we have different desires and tastes and interests and talents and temperaments and viewpoints. And then there's just going to be, and there, inevitably, there's going to be conflict because we simply look at life different. And then added to that fact, uh, we are all basically stubborn, selfish people. And, uh, you know, we want what, what we want, and they want, you know, what they want. And, uh, and then you add another person to the mix. I mean, it really is just a, a major miracle of God that you're even together today uh, when you think about it. Uh, but most people today enter marriage with no conflict resolution skills whatsoever. I mean, none. Now, I cannot tell you how many times... As a pastor, I have sat down with couples before I'm going to marry them and, uh, and, and had this kind of scenario take place. Now, typically, you know, they're newlyweds, they're getting ready to get married, and so they are just 
hopelessly in love, and, and they're staring, you know, goo-goo eyes at each other the whole time. They're at my office, and it's, they even giggle, they even giggle a little bit, you know, and so they're just in love, and, uh, and I will bring up some topics of potential conflict, you know, that, that we might need to talk about a little bit, like, uh, like money, you know, that's a big one, uh, you know, in-laws, sex, communication, children, and inevitably there will be one of those couples, and this happens more times than, than you realize probably, that they'll say things like, oh, Pastor Chris, we got all that stuff down. We're, we got it all under control. I mean, money will live off of love. <laughs> you know? and, um, and then they'll say things like, communication. Pastor Chris, we talk all the time, you know? In-laws, in-laws, come on. She, you know, her parents think I hung the moon, you know. His parents think I'm awesome. And, uh, you know, children, we want a whole mess of them. They'll just bring joy. I know you're laughing, right? They'll bring joy to our relationship. And, and then they'll, sex, come on, Pastor Chris. You know, that won't be a problem. No, never. And so typically, you see this happening. I mean, that is the couple who, like, months later will contact me and say something like, Pastor Chris, you were a prophet, a prophet of God. All those things that we thought, you know, that, that you mentioned that we thought we had under control, now we're fighting, and we need some help. And, uh, you know, sometimes I think that uh, conflict resolution ought to be like a mandatory law for people before they get that marriage license, before they, you know, get married. Because so many people just go into a marriage totally blind. So today, here's what I want to do as we wrap up this series. We're going to look at three things. One is, really quickly, just the, the basic reason for conflict. Then we're going to look at some typical reactions to conflict and spend most of our time talking about um, the resolution, how to resolve conflict. So number one, what causes conflict? Uh, I love the Bible. Man, God's word is so blunt and so real. And it says basically there, there's one underlying reason for most conflict. James 4, 1 and 2 says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something, but you don't get it. So James says that the basic underlying cause of conflict is good old-fashioned selfishness. Selfishness. I want what I want, and you want what you want. Now, how do you normally react when that happens? What, how do you respond? How do you react? Now, I want to give you one of five or five different ways that people tend to react to, to conflict. And I believe that everybody in this room probably has a natural tendency toward one of these five, a natural lean or a bent. And uh, you probably married somebody who has a different tendency. Now, I don't want you to evaluate them. I want you to evaluate yourself, okay? Don't, no elbows, no punching during this portion of the message. So, but just evaluate yourself. And this is true not just in marriage, by the way, but this tends to be in, in any kind of re resolution, conflict resolution. Number one, I'll call my way. My way. Now, that's one way of reacting. And my way says, I will win. Okay? I will assert my will until you give in. I am totally right. You are totally wrong. And it's my way or the highway. 
okay? Some of you are laughing because you know that's how you handle conflict. You just keep at it. You are persistent. You, you keep at it until you win, until they raise the white flag and you are declared the winner, okay? My way. There's a second reaction. is what I call no way, okay? No way means I withdraw. I, I back away from the conflict. Now, it doesn't mean that, you know, no in the sense of, yes, you know, you're right, no, I'm wrong. It's I'm going to avoid it at all costs, and nothing is ever resolved because I won't even engage in the conflict, okay? No way. Number three is what I call your way. Now, your way is where I give in. It's not that I won't engage, but I, I roll over and play dead, okay? I'm a doormat. You know, I, I, in fact, I want your approval or other people's approval so much, I will pretend like I'm a doormat, and I always give in. It's always your way. Now, that'll, on its surface, that will appear to be a very peaceful way to live, because typically that person will marry a my way person, but it's also a very frustrating way in which to live, because eventually that person will explode, okay? Next is what we're going to call halfway. Halfway. Halfway is where you compromise. You've at least learned to get that far in a relationship. You know, I give a little, you give a little, you win some, you lose some. And, and that is better than the first three, typically. But I will say, the dangerous part in this uh, scenario is what tends to happen is that couples uh, will keep score. You know, okay, you won the last one. I'm going to win this next one. Or, or come on, you won the last two or three. Now I'm up, you know, you had your way. Now I want my way. And so over time... You know, again, because at our core, you know, we are selfish, stubborn people. But so what will happen is that will build up resentment because somebody always feels like they lost. Okay? Now, I believe there's a better way. A better way than compromise. A better way than halfway. And you might say, well, it's got to be our way. Well, I think there's even a better way than that, and it's God's way. Because God ought to be right in the middle of all this. Now, God's way is where we do work out a mutual solution. We work out mutual goals. And, and it's this idea of not so much caring about solving the problem. It's not about winning. What's more important in the resolution in the conflict is the relationship. It's where two people actually care about one another. And so we want a mutually satisfactory uh, resolution to this conflict because you're important and the relationship is important and so there's this sense of hey we're on the same team together we are a family together we're going to work out a resolution that's best for all of us so with the time that i have left this morning i want us to look at how the bible says we can do that how we can resolve conflict his way god's way so this is practical today in fact i've got some notes for you that aren't even on your outline so i'm going to give you some extra things to write down but i want you to keep this i want you to share this information share it with your friends share it with your kids you know share it with your spouse if you're both here together go over this at some point together if they're not here you know tape it to their forehead no don't do that um but uh, share it with them now i realize that there are some people here today who are hurting and you are in relationships that are hurting. You're in a marriage that's hurting, and it's very painful. And so I'm hoping today that this is going to be an encouragement to you, that you're going to get some really practical stuff, and then we're going to offer you some, uh, some hope, some help, and some healing. Uh, number one, 
The Bible says that, uh, that in, the, in the resolution of conflict, that the starting place is to commit your life to Christ. Commit your life to Christ. I, you know, I hope that you have heard this message loud and clear over the last five weeks. This is really the bottom line of what we're saying in this series. And by the way, this is not just some you know, trite church answer. Well, you know, it's just Jesus. Raise your hand, kids. What's the answer? Jesus. You know, no. We, we really believe this, okay? I really believe this, that, that the bottom line, because I am not, I'm not talking about church attendance, okay? I'm not talking about religion. So many people in our community especially, you know, this is known as the holy city. We're like the buckle of the Bible belt. So many people have religion, but they really don't know Christ, so what we're talking about is the starting point of conflict resolution is a personal, real relationship with God through Christ. That's how you do it God's way. Because I believe ultimately we can't have peace with other people, you know, the, the kind of peace he wants us to have until we have peace with God. And the Bible says that if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, you are not at peace with God yet. In fact, some, of, some scripture says you're actually still in conflict with him. You're at war with him because you still want your own way. You want to do your own thing, your way. And if you are in conflict with God, that will spill over vertically and or horizontally and be in conflict with other people. And I actually believe that so many marriage problems today, so many family problems, could at least be on the pathway toward resolution if everybody in the family would just get down on their knees at the throne of Christ and give their lives to Jesus and commit to him because then there would be harmony with God and that could spill over and create unity among the family. Now, if that's where you're at today, listen, man, don't put that off any longer. It is the starting point. Some of you have been thinking about that and thinking about that for weeks or for months or for even years. Listen, don't you know, do it today. Don't put that off any longer. Listen, you know, regardless of what you've been told or what you think you've heard, I want to tell you the truth. God loves you, and he has a plan for your life. He, he is waiting on you. He's not waiting to zap you or to punish you or to harm you. He is waiting for you with open arms, just ready for you to turn around and come to him. You just have to turn around. You just got to step toward him, and he will run to you, the Bible says. In fact, listen to this verse, Ephesians 2.16. This verse, Paul is actually talking about the hostility that existed between the different groups of people in his day, like the Jews and the Gentiles. But it actually is a great verse in that it applies to all of our relationships in Christ. Listen to this. Together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death. In other words, isn't that a beautiful thing, a beautiful picture? That God reconciled people together. You know, people who were once hostile toward one another, now they can be reconciled. In fact, he says, our hostility toward each other was put to death. You know what he's saying? He's saying when Jesus is living in you and Jesus is living in your spouse, Jesus has a tendency to find a way to get along with Jesus, you know, to, to work it out. 
And so this really is the foundation. This is the starting place. This is, you will be amazed at the power of reconciliation that comes into your life, that comes into your marriage when both of you begin to live with Jesus on a moment-by-moment -moment basis. And when he's doing that and she's doing that, oh my goodness, that is a beautiful, beautiful, powerful thing. That's the foundation. Now, once you've settled that issue, after you've committed your life to Christ, step two in any conflict is to talk to God about it. Talk to him about it. Now listen to me loud and clear. Before you go talk to that person, talk to God. Before you talk to the person you're upset, about, you're upset with, pray about it. Confess it to him. A lot of times, the, the, the argument, the, the, uh, the fight could be solved right there. In fact, James 4, 2, very revealing verse. Notice what it says. You quarrel and you fight. That could describe a lot of your relationships. You do not have because you do not ask who? God. Circle those two words. Ask God. Now get this, because this is one of the most important things I'll say today. Many of the conflicts in your life that you're experiencing are happening because you're expecting somebody else to meet needs in your life that God expects to meet, that God should be meeting. You're looking toward other people or other things, even yourself, to meet needs in your life. And God is saying, you know what, you need to bring that to me. You know, uh, I, wa I want you to ask me the solution to conflict uh, conflict resolution is not to fight with other people, but to ask me. And again, we've talked about this week after week after week, about not looking for Mr. Right, not looking for Mrs. Right, but being Mr. Right. That the other, you know, the other person that you bring into your life, they are, they're always going to be number two. You should always be number two in their life. You know, it's this idea, boy, if I could just find the right person and get married, all my needs will be met. Seriously? You know, anybody want to give testimony to that one? You know, I mean, no matter how wonderful that person is, no matter how godly they are, you're never going to meet somebody who's going to meet all your needs. They can't. God designed you in such a way that only he can meet your deepest needs. You know, you're not going to find that in somebody else. So you look to God. You go to him. You ask him. Because when I'm expecting somebody else to meet my needs, there will be a telltale warning light that'll come on. And you know what that is? It's anger. Anger is like a red flag. It's a warning light that says, you know what? I'm expecting somebody else here to meet a need that only God can meet. And I'm asking that person or somebody else or even me to be God. So you clear it up with God first. You ask God. You talk to him before you go to that person. Now, when you go to that person, let me give you some things to do. Number three, be honest. Be honest. This is that whole idea of speaking the truth in love. Be honest. Ephesians 4.25 says, So put away all falsehood and tell your neighbor the truth. Because we all belong to each other. In fact, a lot of this next section is really, we're going to dig right in here to Ephesians chapter 4. The words put away here mean to get rid of, to cast away. God is saying, you know, that one of the core foundations of your relationship is honesty. 
And so get rid of all lying, stop lying, and start telling the truth. And if you're serious about really being a follower of Jesus, then you've got to be honest, especially in your marriage. Now, we will justify lying by telling ourselves, well, we just don't want to hurt their what? Feelings. Feelings. You're all a bunch of liars, aren't you, right? Okay, we've done this. However, if you really value that relationship and you, and you take seriously what God says, there is a way to speak the truth in love. Now, let me give you some tips for doing that. This is not on your outline. Write this down. Number, number one, affirm the relationship. Affirm the relationship before you open up the agenda, before you go to the problem. Affirm the relationship. This is this idea of speaking the truth in love. For example, if you're, you know, if you're working on this with your spouse, you could say, you know what, honey, I love you, and I want you to know that. You know, I want to be really clear. I am committed to you. I'm not going anywhere. We're in this together for the long haul, and I really do want the best for our relationship, and I know you want that too. And I feel like, and I bet you would agree with me that there's some things that I think are standing in the way, and we need to address those. Man, that's a much better way of, a, you know, beginning affirming the relationship before you open up the agenda. Number two, make observations rather than accusations. Make observations rather than accusations. Now, human beings, you know, our, our tendency is to do what animals do when they're attacked. They what? They fight back, right? They strike back. You know, you back me into a corner, you're going to come out swinging, Right? That's typical. Proverbs 15.1 says, A gentle answer, though, turns away wrath. Harsh words stir up anger. In other words, instead of going into an argument or a problem with your fist up, you know, let's get ready to rumble, you know, you come in going, you know what, I'm sure you didn't mean to, but, or, you know, I was hurt when you... You know, and can we talk about this? You know, again, it's this idea of making an observation rather than accusing. And then number three, seek to understand before, you're, before being understood. Seek to understand before seeking to be understood. What I'm talking about here is godly listening. Now, we often get this one turned around. You know, when, when, when there's a conflict... We get very defensive. We, we want to be understood. We want to, you know, it's like, again, I got to get my point across. And I've seen that. I've, I've seen that in my office. And when that happens, very little listening takes place. You've got, you've got to seek to understand before being understood. In other words, it's they are more important than you are. And man, when two people are doing that together, that can be a beautiful thing. James 1, 19 and 20. Listen to this. This is such a great verse. This, this is Conflict Resolution 101. My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to what? Listen. Slow to speak. And slow to become what? Angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. He's talking here about man's anger but wow what a great formula here again this idea of you know seeking to understand because hurt people hurt people that's right and so you you put their needs ahead of yours you're quick to listen you're slow to speak stop trying to figure out how you're going to win the argument 
you know, how you're going to come back. You know, just listen. Let me ask you a question. In your relationships, what are you? A truth teller? You speak the truth in love? Or are you a peacekeeper? You know, given the choice, most people just try to keep the peace. But you will never have the oneness and the unity that God says you can have with your spouse if you don't learn to speak the truth in love. Number four, this is going to sound strange, be angry. Be angry. Now, I know that doesn't sound right. In fact, some of you are going, "Woo! I got this one down. I, I got no trouble being angry. Now, I want you to notice a few things here because, again, we just read, be, be slow to become angry. Man's anger doesn't bring about the righteousness. But look at verse 26, the first part of it. And don't sin by letting anger gain control of you. In fact, some translations say, in your anger, don't sin. So we know in, in Scripture that Jesus was angry. You know, so, so there's got to be something okay about anger, about a righteous anger. And I think the idea in relationships is, you know, when you're upset about something, it's okay. Don't deny it. You know, and, and I'll be honest with you. You know, I, I'm, I'm guilty of this one sometimes. I am. You know, when, when Janet, when, when her and I are in a, you know, conflict about something, or Janet asks me if I'm upset about something, if I'm angry about something, you know what I'll say? No. Yeah, that's really mature, right? You know, no. And then you know what I'll do? I'll give her the cold shoulder the rest of the day and pout all day long, like a big baby. You know, that's basically what I do, real mature. Now, because left to myself, you know, if, if I don't seek to do it God's way, and I'll do it my way, I, I tend to be a bottler. I'll just bury it. I'll just stuff it. And uh, what, what I've learned, though, and I'm sure you know this, that's similar to burying, like, toxic waste. Now, we know historically... You know, you know, the government or people bury toxic waste. Eventually, what happens to it? It seeps out, doesn't it? I mean, it seeps out. And it poisons everything in its path. And that's what anger will do, that, that, when it's bottled up. In fact, it also lead, bottled anger also leads to depression. That's why some of you are depressed. Because you're not speaking the truth in love. Some of you, others of you are spewers. You're like that Coke bottle. You know, you just spew your anger and hatred over. When you get upset, you just let it fly. Let it fly. You say whatever comes to your mind, you're like a volcano. I mean, whatever, that, that's how you are. Now, neither one of those, though, I think is God's way. I think, you know, James would say that doesn't bring about the righteous life that God desires. I think the best way is to be an expresser, not a bottler, not a spewer, but an expresser, to express it appropriately, to speak the truth in love. There, there is a type of anger that doesn't lead to sin. And that's this anger. That's this, this idea of speaking the truth in love. And in fact, God then gives us here in Scripture part of the answer. And uh, it's found in verse 26. It goes on, it says, Don't let the sun go down, while you're still angry. Wow, how practical is that? The Bible is teaching, you know what? You gotta deal with, with, with your anger in a timely manner. Don't let it simmer, don't let it fester, don't spew it all over everybody. There's a wisdom here. 
You know, and that is, if you're angry with someone, you are responsible to take care of it in a timely manner. In fact, he says, before the day is through. You know, somebody once said, hey, why go to bed mad when you can stay up all night and fight? Woo, right? Um, no, that's not what I'm saying. That's not what I'm talking about. Um, but I want to challenge you to make a commitment to do this. You know, because some of you have let the devil get a foothold in your relationship, in your marriage, because you have gone to bed angry. In fact, you know what you've done? You know, man, the, the devil gets a foothold, a wedge in that relationship when you go sleep, you know, in, in, on the sofa or in another room. Or you just clam up and you just, just turn that, that cold shoulder toward one another in, in your bed. Listen, you've given Satan an opportunity to kill, steal, and destroy. You know, you're like the husband who said, you know, my wife is not talking to me and I'm in no mood to interrupt her, you know, and that's no good. You know, I'm not saying that, you know, you're going to necessarily solve everything that night, solve all the issues, but why can't you go to bed like this? Why can't you just, you know, you know just stop, look at each other and say, honey, I know we got some things to work out. But I, I want you to know, I do love you. We're going to work this out together because I care about us. And we're going to get through this tunnel. We're going to go over this mountain. And we're going to be stronger on the other side. And I love you and I'm committed to this, this marriage. Man, you do that, the devil does not get a foothold. Now, the second part of the answer of, way of expressing this in love, speaking the truth in love, is uh, the next part of Ephesians here. Number five, be kind. Be kind. Just good old-fashioned kindness. Uh, he really breaks this one down. Listen to this. Man, this is some stuff that you've got to start applying in your relationships. Listen to this. Ephesians 4.29. Don't use foul or abusive language. Listen. Stop making the excuse. Well, this, that's just our way. You know, we fight. We, we're, we're real, you know, we're, we're real emotional people. You know, stop swearing at your husband or your wife. Don't do that. Don't use foul or abusive language. Instead, he says, let everything you say be what? Good and helpful. So that your words would be an encouragement to those who are hearing them. Then he goes even further. He says, get rid of all bitterness, rage, Anger, harsh words, slander, all types of malicious behavior. By the way, let me just be really clear here. Because the world is not clear. The NFL is not clear. If you're in an abusive relationship, if you're being abused, get out. Get out now. You know, we'll help you. We'll help you find a place to go if you're being hit physically in any way being being hurt get out um, we'll help you we've got people here at our church who would love to open up their home to you we'll get you help we'll get you healing now then there's the first part of verse 32 listen to this instead of all that instead of doing what the world does instead be kind to each other tender hearted now, let me give you some ways to very practically, and this is not on your outline, write these down really quickly, very practically, way, very practically to be kind, okay? Real five quick ways to do this. Number one, never compare. 
Never compare. And when you're communicating with your husband, with your wife, don't say things like, why can't you be like so-and-so? Okay, don't do that. You're just like your father. You know, wow, that's not going to be, that's not going to go over well. It's just not. You know, you're just like your mother. It is unfair to compare. Number two, never condemn. That, that's like, that's using words like, you never, you always. Now, probably it's an exaggeration, okay, truthfully, and uh, it's only going to make it worse. Instead, use, you know, and I know you hear this like in counseling, but there's some truth to this, you know. Use, you know, I statements instead. You know, I felt like, or I was disappointed when it seemed to me. All I'm trying to say is, that's much less um, accusing or threatening than you never, you always. Uh, number three, never command. And what I mean by that is this is, really goes a whole step further by don't try to end an argument by force, like demanding your way, barking out orders. You know, you try to win by, you know, if I increase my volume, if I yell louder, you know, somehow I'm smarter and going to win. You are not a parent to your spouse and don't act like one. And then finally, number, uh, or number four, um, never coerce. Now, this is what I, what I really mean by this is not so much by force, because sometimes you can coerce others by just being manipulative, by guilt, or, or the silent treatment, or withholding sex, or whatever. I mean, there's, like, there's a lot of ways to, you know, to win and to coerce. Don't do that. That's not kind. Uh, and then finally, number five, never criticize. Um, again, this is that shouting match of, you know, trying to win. He said, she said, or he did, she did. And this, I'm talking about that person who is just negative, fault-finding. You know, your, your spouse really is trying and working hard in these nine areas. You don't see the nine. You see the one that they're still falling short in, and you focus on that one because you're, you're critical. Over time, that hurts that relationship. That's not very kind. And then finally, we're going to close with this one. Number six, be forgiving. Be forgiving. You know, the very last half of Ephesians 4.32 says this. Forgive one another just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Guys, don't forget the goal in a relationship is not to see who wins but it's to be reconciled to each other. I mean, there's always going to be conflict. You, you know, but if you don't develop this habit, this ability to forgive, you are never going to have a good marriage. If your marriage doesn't come with it, just large, large doses of forgiveness. Honey, I was wrong. Honey, I'm sorry. You know, again, last week I talked about you could do that for even the 1% that you think you were wrong in. You know, if, if you don't have the ability to do that, if you won't do that, you're never going to have a growing, you know, loving relationship with other people. Now, I happen to believe that the best way to learn that and experience that is to experience firsthand the forgiveness that comes from God. You know, the more acutely aware I am of how much God has forgiven me, the easier it is to extend grace and kindness and forgiveness to other people. And man, once you get a taste of that,
And you, you the, the freedom that comes from having experienced the forgiveness and the love of God. I mean, when you really come to terms with just how you know, messed up we are and, and how much God loved us and what he did for us, it is so much easier to give that to your, your spouse, your coworkers, your family. Listen, you will never be called on to forgive somebody else as much as God has already forgiven you. Now, the pushback is this. Yeah, yeah, but Pastor Chris, if I forgive them, it's like they're off the hook. They hurt me. If I forgive them, they might do it again. You're right. They are and they might. But two things. What if God treated you that way? What if God withheld forgiveness from you based on the fact that he set you free and released you and you might mess up again? And secondly, most of the time, forgiveness is really about, about you, about me. You know what? Unforgiveness eventually becomes, and I, I know we all know this, it eventually becomes a bitter root, a poison that destroys you, not the other person. I mean, most of the time, the other person who hurts you has gone on with their life. Sometimes they're even gone and dead. And they still hold a power over you because you've not forgiven. You know, you're still miserable. And now, not only is it affecting you, but you know what? It's affecting other people, your family, your relationship, because that unforgiveness has become anger. Bitterness. Listen, let me close with this. Jesus said this. This is Jesus. If you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your heavenly Father will what? Not forgive you. Be forgiving. What about you? Have you been forgiven? See, again, that, that's where it all starts. That's, that's the center of this whole series. This is not, you know, this is not some uh, self-help series of messages. This is not, man, listen, it begins with Jesus being right at the center of your life and experiencing firsthand his forgiveness and his love and letting that just wash all over you and then let it ripple and, and spill out into other relationships. That's where it begins. And you know, truthfully, some of you are believers. You've taken that step of faith, but your relationship with God maybe is not where it should be. And so therefore, your other relationships aren't either. And you're not being very kind 
or forgiving. And your, your language and your mouth, it's not, you're not, you, know, you look at this list and you're going, man, here's why, you know, conflict's not being resolved. And maybe it's time to recommit your life to Christ. You know what? You can do that today. You can come home to God today. I don't care what you've been told and what you've come to believe, that somehow God is angry at you and he's ready to zap you. Listen, he loves you. And he has a plan for your life and he wants you to come home. He wants you to get right with him. He wants to resolve that relationship with him. He wants to be at peace with you so that you can be at peace with others. And you know what? He took the first step. He he. He paved the way. He said, I will send my one and only son, Jesus, as a sacrifice for your sin, for your mess-ups, for our, our failures. And he said, if you will simply put your faith and trust in Christ and what he did for you on the cross and through his resurrection, you see, he was killed, he was put in a tomb, he was dead for three days, but the power of God and the love of God was so great that he rose from the dead. And he is alive. And it was witnessed, listen to me, witnessed by hundreds of people. It was recorded in human history. And it turned the world upside down. Upside down. Love really can. And if you'll simply put your trust in that, not religion, not church attendance, but in what Christ did for you, change your life and change the lives of people in your, in your path. Do it today. Bow your heads and pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you that you took the, the steps necessary to restore our relationship with you. But it is a choice you've given us to make. And I pray today, God, I believe there are people here today who are ready to take that step. It's just a matter of turning away from where we were going and turning toward you. And you are there with arms open wide, running toward us to come home. Listen, just today in your heart, cry out to God. Tell him, I believe. I believe in Christ. And I ask Jesus today to be my Savior, to be my Lord. I put my faith and trust in what he did for me. And now for the rest of my days, I just want to follow him. That's what Jesus said over and over and over again. Follow me. Follow me. And today, I want to become more and more like he already sees me. I want to live for him out of gratitude, not so that I could earn anything, but just to say thank you. And Father, I pray for all of us here today, maybe who have already made that decision, but have kind of taken you off the throne, and we put ourselves there, or we put somebody else there, or some other thing there, and it's caused a lot of heartache, a lot of anger, and a lot of depression. Today, I pray we would get that right. We would come back to you. Father, help us to be the church you've called us to be, to truly and sincerely open up a can of love on all our community. Show them that love really is the way. But love is also a person. It's Jesus. And we're going to point people to him and let him do the changing. We love you and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.